Hi, this is Dan Sullivan, and this is Exponential Wisdom. This is a marvelous session that we're going to have here with Peter Diamandis, because in my mind, Peter is the master of the topic that we're going to talk about, and this is abundance and new evidence of abundance. And it's a neat topic, Peter, because one week to the next, you have more to say about it. And it was the original attraction, your book, I knew the book before I knew you, but <laughs> things have really changed even since you brought out the first edition of Abundance, and it must be kind of a delicious kind of experience for you just to put this out into the world and then have amazing amount of evidence pouring back to you about what's actually happening to the improvement of almost everything on the planet, almost every human activity on the planet because of technology, but mainly because of changing mindsets. Yeah, Dan, thank you. And it, it is fun. The, the first edition of Abundance, The Future is Better Than You Think, was published in February 2012. And I took the TED stage that same month and gave my TED speech there that sort of changed the course of much of my life. I've been monitoring the data and I'm constantly, I have an amazing team of millennials, my strike force who support me and are constantly searching for it. And by the way, if you're interested on diamandis.com, we've just put up a new tab on my website called Data, and you can actually go to the website and look at all of the charts by topic, by healthcare, education, energy, water, you know, food, and look at what's been going on over, typically the charts are over the course of a couple hundred years or a hundred years or the last 30 years. And it's amazing. And so I blog about once a year, I'll put out a blog on new evidence for abundance. Yeah, things are accelerating. They're not slowing down. And this is what we forget, that technology is accelerating and technology is taking what used to be scarce and making it abundant. Mm -hmm. One example that I think about is the cost of data storage or the cost of bandwidth. I remember in 2000, the cost of transmitting the kind of video and audio we're doing right now would have been thousands of dollars for high quality bandwidth from a company called Akamai. And now it's free. Same thing for storage, storing gigabytes of data used to be huge, right? These massive hard drives you'd have to buy. And now effectively, it's free on Mm -hmm. much of the Google, Microsoft or Amazon services. But the real place that abundance is making its impact is on the developing world, what I call the rising billion. So there are charts. The first is living in absolute poverty. If you look at the number of people living in absolute poverty, which is defined by the UN at a buck 25 a day, it is dropping precipitously. Across the world, we have the ability now probably in the next 20 years to take 100% of the world out of absolute poverty. And in fact, giving those people communications and resources with digital devices allows them to go from not even just out of absolute poverty, but eventually out of poverty. Mm -hmm. So that's an amazing change. The world is becoming wealthier, or I should say the quality of life around the world is improving at an extraordinary rate. Mm One of the things, Peter, that I've enjoyed about our relationship and the annual visit to Abundance 360 is that there's actually a trick that you have to pull off with this abundance business. 
and the technological <laughs> change, and it's a mental trick. You have to find in your mind a place where you can have some constant principles. So these principles allow you to look back 20 years and understand what's happened over the last two decades. They allow you to really, really perceive what's actually happening today. And if you went forward 30 years from now, these same principles would still be constant. So even though the world is changing, if you have a framework of thinking that doesn't need to change, then you don't have that perception of being overwhelmed. You do not have that perception of things being out of control. And it's your six Ds, which we've talked about before, but I was a Boy Scout, and this is like the Boy Scouts code, you know, <laughs> trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. If you do those 12 things, you're handled. But in your case, it's not even 12, it's six. And the first one is look for where things are being digitized. Anywhere things are being digitized, there's disruption on the way. Number two, that when things are digitized, they will not be apparent to other people for quite a while. So it'll be like iceberg growth. Most of the growth of the new thing will be not observable, but then all of a sudden it will suddenly emerge, you know, so you see these CRISPR, you know, which you just mentioned in our longevity one. Well, that's the result of digital technology over a 10 to 15, 20 year period. And all of a sudden within the last 12 months, all of a sudden this has become the thing in almost every area of medical science. So you have this disruption as the third day, and then there's three aspects of the disruption. Number one, things get dematerialized. And I sent you a very interesting article last week about how things weigh less in the United States than they did 30, 40 years ago. The mass of things is decreasing. The weight <laughs> of things. We're living in a world that has less and less material to it. Fifth thing is demonetized. And that is that with few exceptions, and those are usually government related, almost everything becomes cheaper. Yep. Everything becomes cheaper. And the sixth thing is things become available to more people and they have more input into what's happening and that's democratized. So Peter, I've just adopted this, you know, as a student of your book and a student of your thinking about this. And I say, I just want to master something right now that I can just stick with for the rest of my life, which is a long time. And I find that this gives me a wonderful map to sort out. I'm a news junkie, always have been, but I'm not negatively impacted by the news because I'm looking through the lens that you have provided with the six Ds. So again, yes, mindset is so critically important, right? And the mindset about how you see the news and so part of my goal about helping people as entrepreneurs, as CEOs, see the world through the six Ds and then pointing out the evidence for abundance. And just to continue on the charts that I want to share during this podcast, the second chart is on child labor. And it's a fascinating point that we have this rapid decrease in child labor around the globe over the last just 20 years child labor has been cut by about 60%. You know, I think that is going to continue, especially people put children into the workforce because they're cheap and they're available. And they're necessary in many cases. And necessary in many cases. 
But we're going to start to see robots becoming available and cheaper and more available and working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I think we're going to start to see child labor globally, asymptotically bottom out. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge impact of abundance. The next chart I want to talk about and share is the amount of a person's income spent on food. And so this is interesting, right? So people don't realize that the way we use our money is fundamentally changing. So one of the topics I hope we'll talk about soon is the impact of robots and AI on the workforce and losing our jobs and so forth. But at the same time that that is occurring and the implications of that are important to discuss, we are demonetizing, as you mentioned, the cost of living. So how you would use your money in the past is you'd use a certain amount of money on a car, on healthcare, on education, on food, on a house, and all of these things. And so looking at food, and I have this data in abundance, the cost of food has dropped 13-fold. And looking at the chart here, since the 1960s, that 13-fold decrease over 200 years, but since the 1960s, our cost of food that we buy and we eat at home has dropped by almost 70%. Mm -hmm. And it's actually more nutritious and healthier in many cases because we have a much wider selection than ever before. So what's also going on is that the amount of money we spend on going out to eat is increasing as a result of increased prosperity. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's a interesting that we get more food, more calories per dollar. Yeah, there was a crossover point that was reflected at the end of last year, so this is 2015, that for the first time you crossed over more Americans eating out than eating at home, actual meals, and it was the first time there was actually a crossover for that. One thing that fascinates me, because I think people really have to understand the importance of the drop in child labor just as it relates to the development of children when they're young and their mental development and what being at work all day takes out of them, they simply don't have the energy, the mental energy to actually learn. The learning revolution on the planet is absolutely dependent upon not having children doing hard, and this is hard labor. I mean, the kinds of work they're doing, they're not dusting vases, they're doing manual labor and the very hard manual in labor. Fields, right? Yeah, in and the they farms. have all the other conditions of not enough food, not enough good food and everything. So if you could just put the emphasis on early child development and what this means. You have to think about cognitive capacity of the planet. You have to think about the number of brains able to solve problems on the planet as, a, as oxygen, as a native resource that humanity as a whole has. And so if you have more brains that have had the micronutrients in their youth and the nutrients during their development and the time to learn, then we have more brains solving problems, increasing the global economy than ever before. This is something people don't think about, cognitive surplus. And so how much are an additional dozen Einsteins on the planet worth? Mm -hmm. And being born in places that have connectivity and education and the ability for those people to flourish and solve problems, right? All you need is one mind that's able to solve cancer, Mm -hmm. then we all benefit. And people don't realize about that. Just one 
instance of one person solving a big problem and it mm-hmm. globally spreads and we all have the benefit of mm-hmm. that single mind. Yeah. Along that lines, if you look at infant mortality rates over the last, what is this, last 25 years, infant mortality rates have halved around the world, right? So these are children around the world who died before the age of five. Yes. And it's falling off precipitously over the last five years. So what's going on? It's the impact of technology, the ability to feed these kids, get them medicine, give them medical care. So it's again along that exact line. It's keeping them healthier, educating them, taking them out of the hard labor workforce that's making the world better at an extraordinary rate. Peter, you're a world traveler because of your speaking engagements. So you have a framework which is really around the entire planet. 30% of Americans haven't been out of the country. Hmm. So they're not actually seeing... What, they haven't been to Texas? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, just kidding. Only someone from California can say that. Yeah, so, <laughs> so anyway, the big thing is, where have you actually witnessed this? Because a lot of people would hear sub-Sahara Africa and they would think disaster zone or they would think yeah. some other part of the world, but that's not been your experience. I mean, there are problems, but there are problems that people are actually taking control of. It is happening throughout Africa right now. We're seeing the what I call the rising billion. You look at one of the most interesting measures is the number of children per family. So if you go back to the 1950s, over 100 countries around the world had six children per family, (laughs) including yours, right? (laughs) And why? Because you would have a mortality rate where Mm -hmm. 20 to 30% of your kids would die, so you'd have a few extra children. You would have enough children to work the fields for you. You might have one child you could send to school to try and get more income. And this kind of mindset blows me away. It's not, conce- I can't think that way, mm-hmm. but when you ask, would it be easier if you had less children to feed? No, these children are our lottery tickets and our workforce, and so we need that. And there's social security when the parents get older. Exactly, this mm-hmm. is culturally the way they mm-hmm. survived. And so- You're talking about Africa, but Africa just represents the way that all of human history always was. Absolutely. And you look at the charts, again, in the back of abundance, I show the numbers, Mm -hmm. but it drops precipitously where the wealthiest countries in the world now have a less than replacement, right? Less than two children per family. So the wealthiest, meaning best educated and healthiest countries have a negative growth rate. And we're seeing that, you know, Morocco 30 years ago had 7.8 children per family. The new king or queen comes in better healthcare, better education, and Morocco drops from 7.8 to 2.8 children per family. So this is what is happening globally. So a lot of my friends in Silicon Valley, Elon Musk being one in specific, is worried about underpopulation of Earth, Mm -hmm. not overpopulation of Earth. Just want to make one little note about child labor is that it affects both genders, but it's disproportionately girls. Yeah, There's a one-to-one correlation between the advancement of a developing society and the degree that women can become educated, girls can become educated. And the reason is that educated girls produce educated sons. They find that the single factor, I remember Bjorn Lomborg, he has a thing called the Copenhagen Consensus, Mm -hmm. and he gets people from all around the world 
and he brings experts in from every field for a number of days. And he says, we've got this amount of money to spend, and he'll put amount of money. And I want you to give me your priority list on what we should spend the money on. The two things that always come out at the top of the list are clean water, and the second one is female education. It's just uniform that everybody knows that these are two factors, and both of these are addressable through technological means. The girl effect, I think, is a huge, my friends at the Nike Foundation have focused on that. And Mm. interestingly, a related subject in one of the charts that I recently put forward is on teen birth. In this case, the United States is where I have the data. So the teen birth rate peaked in the early 1960s, I guess with the sexual revolution as part of that. But the teen birth rate has dropped by 200%, dropped to a third of what it used to be. Mm -hmm. And young girls who find themselves as mothers at age 14, 15, 16 can't go educate themselves. They're all of a sudden saddled down. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty extraordinary because if you can reduce the teenage birth rate, you get a more educated populace and healthier kids and healthier families. Mm -hmm. So that's more evidence of abundance. What is that? It's birth control, it's education, it's a rising economy where the government can provide support. Let's talk about something near and dear to my heart, which is how do we interpret the constant barrage of violence brought to us by the news? Mm -hmm. So you watch the news, I don't watch it at all. (laughs) I I watch the news as I walk in, I'm here at XPRIZE headquarters, downstairs, I'm on the third floor, Mm -hmm. we have the third floor of this building, and downstairs there's a TV screen that is always on the crisis news network, the constantly negative news network, (laughs) CNN, uh, the screen of doom. (laughs) And I play a game every morning when I walk in, I will look over and I'll look at what the headlines and probably two thirds to 80% of the time, it's death, terrorism, killing, bombing, extraordinary. It's like catch your eyes and your amygdala and focus them on CNN Mm -hmm. so they can bring your eyeballs to their advertisers. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, is the world really more violent than ever before? If you ask the populace, they're going to say yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, first of all, there's a direct correlation between your perception of danger and the amount of television watching. They know that people who don't watch television don't nearly have the perception of danger. And, you know, I live in one of the safest cities in the world, Toronto, and I've been here for 45 years and I've never seen a violent act personally, and I don't know anyone who has. Yes. So my own local experience is that there is no violence. If you just ask me based on my own personal experience, I really haven't experienced in violence. Even there are some really interesting things in talking to various people who have taken a look at this, Tim Larkin, who's a personal defense expert. He said that if you went into any major city and you wanted to know how to be safe in that city, you go to the police force and you ask to talk to the officer in charge of violent crime. And you give him a map of the city and said, if you with a pencil will show me where I shouldn't go, I'll stay away from there. And he said every city, the officer would be able to define a very, very small area. And he said, if you're outside of this area, for example, in Chicago, which is very famous now because 
the death rate on a weekend could be anywhere from 7 to 14 shootings, people killed, and injury rate of around 70. But it's all in two postal zones in South Chicago. If you live anywhere else in Chicago, I have a Chicago home out near the airport. Out-of-control dog is sort of a violent act that would be reported there. (laughs) So part of what I think television does, especially the mainline media, and I think Hollywood does a major job with this, they try to give you the impression that this is the way that life is. But in fact, the vast majority of people, this isn't how life is all. And Steven Pinker, the professor from Columbia University. At Harvard, yes. At Harvard. Uh, I think he was at Columbia, but he's at Harvard now. They, they poached him. Yeah. They poached him. You know. <laughs> but he's actually a Canadian. He actually comes from Canada. He just did a very, I think, a very convincing job showing the actual amount of killing and violence in the world has dropped precipitously over the last 50 years. That this probably by any standard you want to measure it by is probably the safest period of human history. The homicide rate in Western Europe has dropped 500-fold over the last 600 years since the Middle Ages. Mm -hmm. And we forget how violent it Mm -hmm. used to be, marauding gangs, right? What was the recent movie with the guy that was mauled by a bear? Oh, yes, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. The Revenant, yeah. Oh, my God, how violent were times there? It's crazy. And then it's like... I wouldn't want to live there. We romanticize the past, which is insane. U.S. violence between the mid-70s and today has dropped by 200% again. Yes. From a high of like 50 violent crimes per thousand down to 15 violent crimes per thousand. And we think that it's more violent today. It isn't. Yes. It's just that CNN is bringing you every violent crime because there's a camera every place. And your mindset matters, right? Yeah. We have a negativity bias, right? There's no one standing outside LAX saying there was no airplane crash here today <laughs> or no one standing outside the local high school saying there was no school shooting here today. Mm-hmm. You only hear about the negative stuff. Yeah. It just colors your mindset. Yeah. And it's abusive. Yeah, one of the things, Peter, and I don't know if we've actually talked about this in relationship to the media, the media and I'm talking about mainstream TV, I'm talking about the newspapers, I'm talking a lot about the TV stations, they're actually dying at a very rapid rate through lack of advertising. And the reason is because with the birth of the internet and the spread of the internet, a lot of people have found that the internet is just a better advertising medium than mainstream television. And the other thing is that people prefer Netflix has been such a big revolution on the planet because people like the experience of watching a whole movie without commercials. Even in the New York Times, which is arguably one of the most influential papers in the United States, around the world it would be in the top five or ten papers. If you're sitting in space in New York City, you'll notice that there isn't anyone at the desk beside you They're laying off people. You'll hear cutbacks of the New York Times because they're switching everything over to digital subscription. The whole newspaper is dematerializing in many ways. And it's moving from stuff, which is the paper and everything, and they're moving over to digital communication. So if you're a member of the news media, things are actually getting worse. So your daily perception about your job security your daily perception of the fact that every year there's less investment in your future occupation and things are switching. Plus, there's massively more competition out there. 
I every day go to an aggregator site, which is called Real Core Politics, and the New York Times has to compete to get one of their articles actually put on this aggregator. It's out of Chicago, and they have Real Clear Politics, they have Real Clear Markets, they have Real Clear History, Real Clear Science. And what it is is a service that just finds interesting articles every day. They'll put a link to your newspaper. And the interesting, Peter, is that there's almost no violence ever on this medium. There will be an article about, hey, what's happened to the violence rate, but they won't really, really talk about violence all that much. It's just interesting things happening in the world, the sort of things that you're always very, very interested in, you know, breakthroughs here. And my sense is that I think that the reason why the violence is so extreme on television and also in Hollywood right now is because both of those mediums are endangered species. And so they're dangling eye candy to get our attention. They're trying to get your eyeballs. They want you to believe that the world is just as dangerous as they're experiencing it. So that you can tune in. And so I think it's a plea for help on their part. Do you realize how dangerous the world is? But you're actually not experiencing it, you know. So that's my thesis, is that as they get nearer to their own demise, they get more extreme because they're saying, you know, we're really important. We're, you know, we're really, really important. And But I don't get any of my news from television. I get it all from the internet. You know, I'm a surfer. Well, let me point towards the last two charts that I want to hit on here, which are perhaps two of the most important charts, which is the average years of education this is around the world. And on this chart, we see that 150, 200 years ago in the early 1800s, the average years of education that people had around the world was like two years of education, right? Like first and second grade. You were lucky if you got some basic reading and some basic math. And it's exploded over the last 200 years to the point where around the world, it's a minimum of 15 or 16 years of education. And in you know Western Europe, the United States, it's as high as 21 years of education. Yeah. So we're spending much more of our time educating ourselves. And that drives the last chart to mention here, which is global literacy rates over the last 500 years have gone from 500 years ago, 10% of the population could read to today, it's mid-90s to nearly 100% around the world are able to read. That's yeah. huge change, huge change. One figure I know is that I started first grade in 1950, and I check back. You've made me much more research conscious, <laughs> Peter, because I used to be able to just say things, but you're always asking me for the facts, so you've made me a more honest person. But in 1950, the percentage of the population that had a college degree was 7%, and now it's 37% with twice the population. So it's yeah. 7% of half the population against 37% of double the population. We have no comprehension what a change this makes. But it also plays into the danger situation, Peter, I'll tell you a story, very, very quick story, but we lived on a farm until I was 11. And when I was six, I was given the right to go into the woods, which is about 20 acres at the back of the farm. So my mom told me you could roam the farm, but you can't go in the woods. But at six, I could go in. And she said, the dog will be with you. So the first time I came back, I said, mom, you guess what I did? And she said, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. But she said, 
If anything happens to you, the dog's with you, he'll come back and bark and we'll find you. So take that attitude in 1950 against the attitude of a six-year-old living in Santa Monica or Venice Beach about their six-year-old. The reason is I wasn't as important as a six-year-old because there wasn't as much investment in me in 1950. Look at the investment that you put into your five-year-olds right now. Yeah, they can't go past the driveway. Yeah, (laughs) my mother's attitude wasn't an unusual attitude. I was the fifth child. She had seven of them. You know, I was valuable because we all had work to do. But part of the reason is the protectiveness, I think, of parents because they're making such an amazing investment in their children right now. And therefore... If they lost their child right now, that would be a a much bigger loss in 2016 than it was in 1950. I'm just saying that there was still infant mortality in 1950. You lost children. There were stillbirths and everything. So children are seen as an incredibly bigger investment that parents and adults are making than was ever true previous. And along with that sense of investment, there's the dangers that could threaten the investment or wipe out the investment. So that's just an insight that I have. Because I'm an older person, Peter, I'm just informing you of some generational wisdom, you know. Got it. (laughs) I, for one, pal, am glad that as the uh, fifth of seven, you survived (laughs) to be here with us on this planet today. So let me summarize for everybody. We are living during the most extraordinary time in human history, and the impact of technology, exponential technology, is to make everything more available, cheaper, to raise the global standards of living. We are truly living in a much more abundant time than any other time, Mm -hmm. and it's accelerating. So if you want to side with me and get back a couple hours (laughs) of your day or your week and not watch the Crisis News Network, great, or if you want to watch it, please make sure your mindset filters are on because your mindset matters. And if you think the world is getting worse, you're not going to invest. If you think the world is the most amazing time ever, you're going to be excited to live every day, start your next company and put forward your biggest, boldest ideas into the world. And that's truly where we are. So pal, for a next subject, there are two subjects I'd love to talk with you about and uh, let you choose. Mm -hmm. One is hiring. How do you Mm -hmm. hire during Mm -hmm. exponential times? How do you hire the best people? And the other subject Mm -hmm. is culture. How do you Mm -hmm. create a culture inside your organization that's vibrant? Yeah. Where do you want to go next? I I would go with the hiring one because if you get the hiring right, the culture will be right. So I think the one precedes the other. Okay. I know we have an enormous number of entrepreneurs listening to the podcast. And Peter, if they're awake at two o'clock in the morning, and it's not a pleasant moment. It's basically because of hiring and the management of bad hiring mistakes. All right, well, we'll go there next. So see you soon, my friend.